0: And it raises a very serious question. You know, the doctor and hospital have a fiduciary duty, at least in our opinion, to the patient, and are required to make sure that the patient knows what they're signing. And so the question is here, did she know what she was signing? And the answer is, no, she did not. She does not even recall signing at all.
1: In December of 2000, a rather unusual case made its way into the U.S. District Court of New York, The case, filed by William Stowell, 19 years old at the time, would continue on for two and a half years between William and the doctor and hospital that delivered him. And it's all centred around something that happened to William at birth.
0: Mr. Stowell, let me ask you, you, in this suit, one of the things you say is that, and I want to read the quote here, deprived you and future partners of the pleasure of natural, normal sexual intercourse. Why sue on the basis of the fact that it deprives you and future partners of a better sex life.
2: Well, that's not exactly what I'm suing for. What I'm suing for more is uh, fraud, the fact that my mother was defrauded into signing a consent form for this procedure.
0: And you, uh, say, and you say she wouldn't have consented or shouldn't have consented?
2: No, or- she would not have consented, nor would I have consented later on in my life. But did she
0: sign a consent form?
2: Uh, yes, she did.
1: Now, the procedure William is referring to is his circumcision. Shortly after being born, the doctor who delivered William circumcised him, something that was already signed off on before he was born. But this is what William was contesting in the court of law. That his mother wouldn't have signed these consent forms, let alone was in a state
0: to sign them. Well, how, how then do you, do you contest that con- the uh, consent form? All right, Charlie, perhaps I might answer that. Sure, um, go ahead, Mr
1: That's David Llewellyn, Williams' representation.
0: Uh, it, it's very simple. She was uh, had been given Demerol earlier in the morning when she signed the form.
1: Demerol is an opioid that's most widely used in child labour and delivery.
0: And so the question is here, did she know what she was signing? And the answer is no, she did not. She does not even recall signing at all.
1: That William's mother was under the influence of Demerol is only one side of the story here. William had a problem that something was done to him that was out of his control.
2: Well, it first started out in uh, 1996 when I was 14. I was at a summer camp, and we had just come back from the gym, we were all in the shower, and I had noticed another boy that I was at the camp with who was not circumcised. And so on my own, I started doing some research on it. And uh, I was going to the library, reading urology journals and whatnot. And then when the internet got really big, I started finding various resources on the internet that helped me out a lot.
1: Also around this time, the rate that circumcision was performed on boys at birth was on the steady decline. The attitudes and practice of medical professionals was changing. And William feels he was thrown smack bang in the middle of that and circumcised when he wouldn't have wanted to be.
2: And uh, the more I looked into this, the more I realised that nobody's really speaking the truth about this whole issue. Everything that most of the people you ask don't know the, the whole story on circumcision. And uh, the more I found out myself, the more I realised that there was more to it.
1: You're listening to Think Health. My name is Jake Malcolm. Today on the show, we're looking at an issue that historically has divided the Western world, and not only has it caused this divide, but has fueled two very passionate arguments from either side that either say you should circumcise your child, or you should do anything but that.
2: The issues are, are much like vaccination. So
3: you call this uh, a surgical vaccination, is that right? It,
2: it is. It is. It is it's absolutely exactly, incorrect. The issues are very similar. In fact, it's much it, it safer. totally safer. T- much OK, safer. George, your reaction to that? No. Um, um, vaccination, you take a foreign look, protein, you take so a virus, you take I, a bacteria, I, 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 you give it in the mouth, you inject it in you know, the child, and you cause an immune response. response. What what I is I resent vaccination most is. Most of all...
0: OK, one at a time. What I resent... One at
1: a time.
3: Let Brian finish. It's very polarized
4: you know, arguments about anything to do with sexuality uh, and when it comes to its literal impact on the body such as the practice of circumcision, yeah, you know, very polarised.
1: This is Melissa Kang from the Faculty of Health at the University of Technology, Sydney. And she's an expert on adolescent health, where back in the mid-naughties wrote as a dolly doctor for the tween magazine Dolly, answering all sorts of questions about sexual health coming in from teenagers. Male circumcision wasn't burning question number one, but it did come up from time to time. And so what were these questions?
4: Nearly always curiosity about what circumcision was and why some boys might be circumcised and others weren't. Sometimes I felt there was a bit of a slant towards, is it cleaner to have the foreskin removed? So if there was any kind of bigger question than that, it was generally about hygiene or cleanliness.
1: When you get one of these questions about male circumcision, how did you go about answering them?
4: My approach always to any of the questions had to be, naturally, from a evidence-based, if you like, medical perspective.
1: Referencing the latest research, Melissa says was sometimes quite a challenge, given the literature around male circumcision was constantly changing, and some argue that male circumcision in a Western context, aside from those who practice it through a Jewish or Islamic faith, began without any particular research behind it.
4: It's a really, I think, interesting phenomenon. It seems to have emerged in probably back in the late 19th, early 20th century and certainly up during the war, First World War, when there was a rise in incidence of syphilis and other STIs. And I think there was a concern that with STIs being perhaps imported back from overseas or just increasing around in the community, particularly of young men and women, that having a foreskin somehow contributed to that. So if you've got a foreskin covering the glands or the tip of the penis and you've got some retained, you know, semen and bodily fluids in there after intercourse, then yes, those organisms theoretically may remain viable for a period of time.
1: From this period onwards, in places like the States, the UK, and here in Australia, rates of male circumcision would skyrocket, reaching peaks in most places around mid-century in the 50s and 60s.
4: I think it reached a peak of 90%, if if that's accurate, which it probably is reasonably accurate.
1: Meaning 90% of newborn males were circumcised.
4: I would say it would have to be because of cultural practice, what was considered normal, what was considered healthy, what was considered the appropriate thing to do.
5: So all newborn babies generally are checked by a doctor before they leave hospital by a paediatrician. And the paediatrician would say something along the lines of, would you want your baby circumcised? Or we will be circumcising your baby.
1: We will be. Yeah,
5: we will be we will be circumcising your baby on day three or day five, whatever the routine for the hospital was.
1: This is Alison Cummins, a senior lecturer in midwifery at the University of Technology, Sydney, and would I understand people might contest that.
5: Mm, I don't think rarely. Women weren't very informed at that time anyway about birth and choices, and they tended to do what they were told.
1: Even though the practice was widespread at this time, there was this idea that even if women didn't want their newborns circumcised, the pediatrician would have ultimately made that decision for them. Back to Melissa Kang, why are they the ones to determine whether or not it's okay?
4: Well, that's you know that's a really interesting question as well. And looking back historically, the doctor in the room or the prevailing belief in the medical profession at the time, that's what kind of determined it rather, not well, alongside the parents, but you kind of had your doctor saying, well, this is what, you know, what happened. So I think certainly in the past, there was a lot of perhaps deference to medical expertise, that this is appropriate or this is right, or this was healthier. But
1: flash forward to today, these opinions and these practices are the
4: complete opposite the dominant culture would say that there's a sort don't do of, it. Don't do it. Yeah
3: he's making the point that he believes that it provides protection in the way that a vaccine does and you dispute that.
4: It is not right, it is
6: leading people into doing procedures which are unnecessary, which have complications, side effects and to believe that you are somehow sanctimoniously protecting the world and you will die with not one foreskin intact in the universe is absolutely not the right way to practice medicine.
1: I'm a victim turned activist in that I was circumcised as a child and I've had psychological problems. As a result of the circumcision? I believe so.
0: It's the first circumcision protest
2: at a Super Bowl. They're still doing this. It really made it real to me to see this this little young boy and know that he had had his genitals mutilated like that.
4: You can't really
7: talk about FGM on the internet without usually men redirecting the conversation to male circumcision. Probably because they think it's related and the topic is maybe a bit closer to their hearts.
1: Not only have the cultural attitudes towards circumcision changed, but so have the conversations that take place in the hospital environment. Because I've spoken to some people who no one wanted to talk to them about it. They didn't even want to, you know, be like, oh, I can refer you on to another obstetrician or I can point you in the right direction. It was literally, no, I can't talk about this, sorry. Have you heard of that happening?
5: Yeah, and I have heard of people actually having, like, a conscientious objection to it. So I don't agree with the practice. I think it's wrong and I'm not going to engage even in the conversation. So certainly... I would be asked if I'm willing to hold a baby while the practice is being performed and I could say no to that. But if a parent asks for information, I feel that it's the midwife's role to facilitate a conversation about it. I don't feel that they should be stopped with a roadblock. And if they are, it should be that I'm not happy to engage in that conversation and I'll find someone else who will.
1: When you say there's that kind of like conscientious effort to have that conversation, would you say that's on behalf of the individual's opinion or even the hospital, meaning like we don't want Mm. to have this conversation as like the institution in which we
5: are? I don't think any hospital could say that. I think because there are, on the other hand, medical indications and reasons why you might need to do it. So I don't think hospitals can say no.
1: Do you think that in the back of some, perhaps, people who work in the healthcare industry's mind, is that if I tell you whether or not you should circumcise your child, in the future said child might hold that against you, and in some you know crazy universe pursue legal action. Do you think some people feel like legally conscious that performing that practice is something that a child or a person reflecting on when they were a child didn't consent to?
5: Absolutely. This industry, obstetrics, is really uh, litigious and there's lots of avenues for lawsuits. Currently in Australia, parents have consent of their children till they're about 14. So we do have to think of the ramifications, but unless the information given... It would be very difficult unless it was documented that the information given to the parents was incorrect and then you could have a case, perhaps.
2: What I'm suing for more is fraud, the fact that my mother was defrauded into signing a consent form for this procedure. But did she sign a consent form? Uh, Yes, she did.
1: The Stowell case, claiming a wrongful circumcision of an infant had been performed, reached a confidential settlement. The case for Stowell's representation, David Llewellyn, wasn't his first, nor was it his last. As instances of male circumcision are on the decline, the number of lawsuits brought up against the medical practitioner, the hospital, or in some cases the parent or parents themselves, are on the rise. Some cases range from one similar to this one, wrongful circumcision when the parent might not have consented, to others involving botched circumcisions where the genitals have been left damaged. Coming up next, if the parent has legal consent over their child till the age of 14, can they rightfully be the ones to determine whether or not their child should be circumcised?
7: With both of my children, I didn't find out what gender the child was, so I was in the so I didn't know I was having a boy, and they said, "Oh, it's a boy." And you know, and eventually a bit later that night, you know, the midwives come around, and I sort of thought, "Oh, I should ask. Do I ask about circumcision?" You know, it just sort of popped into my head, and I asked the nurse, and she said, "Oh, absolutely not." We don't do that here, and you don't need to do that.
3: I think I'd always been pretty clear that I'd consider it, considering um, their father was circumcised as a baby as well. So that was one of the issues that sort of prompted me to consider it in the first place.
6: He got a very big shock when he saw his penis after it had been circumcised, And then he refused to urinate.
7: Hi, I have two children. I have a little girl who's four and a half and a little boy who is two.
3: Hi, I'm Heidi and I've got three little
6: boys. Hi, my name's Leslie and I have two adult children, a girl that is 26 and a son that is 24.
7: I don't have a religious or cultural affiliation that requires me to do it. Um, there's no special significance. So I thought, oh, well, why am I thinking that I would do this?
3: I had a few friends whose adult children had, had the procedure performed and I really didn't want to put any son of mine through that.
6: I didn't want to.
3: Um, I had to because the
6: skin on the end of his penis would blow up full of urine.
7: And I thought, oh gosh, I really wouldn't have wanted anyone to do anything to my perfect baby. You know, he was just so beautiful and you're so in love with them. And I really couldn't imagine taking him to get a procedure which I'd just been told by my trusted um, obstetrician and gynecologist wasn't necessary.
1: If in like 10 years' time one of your sons comes to you and says, I wish I wasn't circumcised, how would you respond to that?
3: I'm not sure. I haven't really thought about it in that way. I suppose the only thing I could do was point out some of the pros that I was able to research in the lead-up to having the procedure done and let them know that it was, from at least my perspective, an informed decision.
1: How would you feel if they raised something like that with you?
3: I think it would be fair enough to raise, you know, considering it was a fairly big decision that was taken out of their hands at an early age. But I think that maybe... If it was to be done at a later stage, the procedure would obviously be a lot more painful and a lot more complicated, and so that's the reason I had to act what I did.
1: Although cases have been pursued following wrongful circumcision or persons pursuing damages for a procedure gone wrong, the practice of circumcision is still legal in pretty much every country in the world. However, the issue remains a contentious one. Back in 2001, Sweden brought in a law that only allowed someone certified by the National Board of Health to circumcise infants, and here, anaesthetic was compulsory if the procedure were to be performed. This is something that has trickled into the rest of the world, cementing anaesthetic as pretty much a necessity if the procedure is to be performed. In 2012, a Norwegian political party proposed a ban on circumcision of males under the age of 18, which never passed, and as recently as February this year, tensions between religious and non-religious groups in Iceland came to a head, as a bill was announced intending to outlaw male circumcision for non-medical reasons. Although legally the issue of male circumcision has flipped back and forth over the years across the world, the fact that the practice remains legal it is the parent or parents who are the ones who have the final say. But Leslie, who was forced to have her son circumcised at age three, doesn't completely agree with this.
6: I don't think it's fair. You're performing an operation on a child that has no choice in the matter. I don't think it's the right thing to do, to do it, unless it's really necessary.
1: Do you respect that people make their own decisions, though?
6: Yeah, of course I do. I mean, I know there's... I don't know, I'm a bit unsure about that one.
1: How were you feeling during this time?
6: I. It was horrific because I didn't know that he was going to respond that way. I knew it would be unpleasant, but um, we didn't really have an alternative. I think more so he got a very big shock when he saw his penis after it had been circumcised. And then he refused to urinate because he thought it was gonna hurt. And we ended up back in hospital and staying in hospital because then his bladder was full and then it was he was having trouble even trying to urinate. And they thought that they were gonna have to use a catheter which was not an ideal situation on a penis that's been recently circumcised. So he eventually, after bribery, he promised if we took him home, I, and I managed to get him actually to urinate a certain amount, because they didn't think he was going to urinate in the hospital because he was too stressed. So then I took him home and promised to buy him anything he wanted, basically. (laughs) And we did a little bit at a time. He did urinate a little bit and a little bit more until he got over it. It was purely all about the possibility of damage to his um, kidneys and organs in the future.
1: You know, I, I feel like I must have thought it was something like this, but I didn't know it was to this extent...
6: I'm sure I told you I had you had it done when you're older. I don't know. And I never told you that. I don't think so. I never tried to keep it from you.
1: <laughs> no, I I know. I just don't think that we've ever had that converse, this conversation. But yeah.
6: no, no, it was when you. I'm you know, sorry
1: that there was so much stress put on you.
6: Oh, it was horrific. But you know, I wasn't scared about me. I was scared of. It was. It's terrible to have your child that distressed. But we had no idea that's how you were going to respond. I don't think that's usual. I don't think that's normally the response. It, was, it wasn't it was pain of any description. It was when you looked at it, you freaked out. And you thought it was going to hurt when, you, when you'd urinate. That's why you refused to. And somebody's pretty stubborn when they want to be. Thanks.
1: <laughs> Interesting now because... The way that you communicate your opinion to me, I can respect that and I can understand it that you don't think that someone has a right to determine what happens to somebody else's body. But in my opinion, going through all of this, there are so many people who have you know, reached adulthood, have been circumcised and have a real issue with it, and that they wish it hadn't been done onto them. For me, I don't care. I'm fine with it. it I, ha- I hold no animosity, or don't even know if that's the word, I hold no real passion about whether I am or whether I'm not. But the one thing that does concern me in all of this is that there's such a divide between people who are either really for it, or they're really against it. And I feel that the changing discourse that people say a penis isn't the way that it's meant to be, or someone's deciding that for them. Yes, I'm fine with it. But by you making a big deal of it, I feel like you have a problem with that and you have a problem with what I look like.
6: Ah, I understand what you mean. Okay.
1: And I feel that that carries body shaming with it.
6: It's from a woman's point of view, I don't think the majority of women would really care on one or the other. I mean, that's in my opinion, but it's from a men's perspective of their body, um, I can understand why. It's an issue. And is this pressure coming from men to men or women to men or or both? Are
1: you asking me or are you just saying?
6: Yeah, I'm asking you what do you think? Is it mainly men? having an opinion much like vaccination
3: so you call this uh, a surgical vaccination is that right
2: it, it is it is, it, it is it's absolutely, absolutely issues are very similar in fact it's much safer. in addition the oh, glands okay. keratinizes
0: over the year and becomes less sensitive and so there's a considerable sexual loss now
2: this was known most of the people you asked don't know the the whole story on circumcision and uh the more i found out myself the more i realized that there was more to it
5: yeah
1: yeah i think yeah yeah It's a lot of men talking about their dicks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which we have enough of. (laughs) You made a decision for me when I couldn't have made that decision and I was fortunate that nothing went ridiculously wrong where in some cases... It has gone, but... Or it's even like, this is what happened at the time. People were instructed or kind of, like, led to do this, even when they may not have wanted to or didn't know any better. And I think what, I think what's missing is the fact there are a lot of men who are circumcised, and they are fine with it. They don't hold any animosity toward it, be the medical practitioner or the parent who did it on their behalf. So when I think about what you did, I respect the decision you made, and I didn't know that it was so hard for
6: you. I feel terrible now that I never discussed this with you. I was I don't know. I brought it up with you because I, I was really worried that you'd be mentally scarred by it.
1: Yeah, well, good That's... that I don't really remember it. <laughs>
6: By the way, it was when Toys R Us was in Hornsby and I promised you anything in the store if you do a Wii. (laughs) What did I get?
1: What did I get?
6: I can't remember now. I don't even think you were that worried about what you were going to get. I think you just were too scared to think about it.
1: The only thing I remember you bribing me with is um, if I went to one more Irish dancing class, you would buy me Zelda (laughs) on Nintendo. So there's a recurring theme with you here, I'm feeling. And me, and me. (laughs) That's all we have time for today on Think Health. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Think Health. We also have a website. You can jump on there, 2SER.com forward slash think dash health. This show is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia via the Community Radio Network. Throughout this year, you'll be hearing from both myself, Jake Morecambe, and Shane Anderson. Until then, thanks for your company.